All right, you may like to turn in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. You may also be wondering why I'm doing guitar, vocaling and preaching as well all at the same time. It just, it's just because I don't want to wear a mask at the end of the day. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what it is. No, not really. Uh, it, it does help with that though, yeah. So Matthew chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning and we'll read it shortly. But first, let me ask you this question. Have you ever been somewhere... And all of a sudden, you see someone famous. You see someone famous. Maybe you're in the city. Maybe you're at a restaurant, perhaps even overseas. And you look, and there they are, someone really famous. What do you do? How do you respond? Do you pluck up the courage to, I don't know, go and ask for an autograph or whatever? Um, on occasion, I go to a cafe in Lathlane called Laker, which is right near West Coast Eagles headquarters. And this one day I walked into, well, Michelle and I walked into uh, Laker and lined up, and right in front of me, like less than social distancing distance away, was Nick Natanui, perhaps the greatest AFL ruckman of all time, and from my team as well. He was right kind of there. What am I going to do? Did I kind of tap him on the shoulder or, to be honest, probably more like somewhere between the hips and the shoulder uh, and you know, say to him, G'day, mate. <laughs> How are you going today? No, I didn't do that, did I? I didn't do that. Why not? Well, just because he was in front of me doesn't mean that we can have a good old chat. Just because it's Nick Nat doesn't mean he's going to be at all interested in uh, little old me. And that's how it often goes, right? The more famous, the more powerful, the more important someone is in this world, probably the less likely the rest of us will be able to have much to do with them. Now, I don't think Nick's like that, and I probably should have been bold enough to tap him on the wherever and say, g'day, mate. Um, you see what he does in the community, so I'm pretty sure he's not quite like that. But that's how it normally works. The more famous, the more powerful someone is, the less likely we're going to get anywhere near them. Uh, well, today in Matthew, we're going to continue our series, The King Who Saves, and we're going to be introduced to a famous prophet. A famous prophet. In fact, the greatest prophet, according to Jesus himself, a prophet who speaks the very words of God, a prophet who announces exactly what God himself is doing in history at a particular point in time. And more than that, as we listen to him, we're going to be introduced to someone far, far greater. Someone beyond compare. Someone whose presence literally changes everything in all of history. Someone who is not far off from us, but who is drawn near to us. Someone whom we can know. And be in relationship with. Let's read John chapter 3. Sorry, Matthew chapter 3. 
verses 1 to 12. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Mm -mm. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptised by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 11 I baptize you with water. For repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this part of your word. Thank you, Lord, that it's, it's because of your sovereign kindness and love towards your world that we have this part of word, your word in our hands in front of us or on the screen in front of us. And we have your spirit in our hearts. So now would you please take your word and be our teacher by your spirit. Show us your son and show us how we are to respond to him today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know whether you noticed, but as we head into chapter 3, we find ourselves many years down the track from the end of chapter 2. Matthew just says, in those days, in those days. But many years have passed since the end of chapter 2, which is a little clue for us that the gospel writers are not about writing a biography, sorry, a diary, of Jesus' life. They're, they're about writing the significant events in the story of Jesus' life that have massive meaning and massive significance. And this one that we've got in front of us today has to do with John the Baptist and him preaching or proclaiming or heralding, if you like. John the Baptist is what's known as a herald. And he is heralding or announcing something important and Matthew is highlighting it and wanting us and his readers to see what it is. What is it 
that he's heralding? What is it that he is announcing? Well, have a look at verse 2. He comes preaching in the wilderness of Judea. What's his message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or has come near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, to see the significance of this message, we've got to know something about the identity of the herald. Who is he? Why is he saying what he's saying? What does it mean when he says what he says? When he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What does that even mean? Well, the answers to those questions are actually right in this passage. Look at verse 3, for example. Matthew makes it clear who he is. He says, For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. This is he. Again, we notice Matthew is busy showing us the fulfilment of prophecy. He does it again and again. He says, this happened to fulfill. This happened to fulfill. Here it's, this is he who was spoken of by the prophet. In fact, there's several Old Testament prophecies uh, kind of embedded in our passage today, but the one that's most clear is this one, and it comes from Isaiah 40. Let me just show you a little bit around Isaiah 40 and so that we can understand why Matthew or why, yeah, why John is, is being spoken of in this way. Isaiah 40, verses 1 to 5, our, our, our quote is from chapter 3, sorry, verse 3. But Isaiah 40 begins like this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And here's the quote. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, the great I am, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain shall be made low and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places are plain. And the glory of Yahweh shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. Now, what's important about this is where it sits in Isaiah. Isaiah has 66 chapters. It can be broken up into pretty much two halves, 1 to 39, 40 to 66. The first half of Isaiah, without being oversimplifying it, is about God's rebellious people and his judgment on them as a result, ultimately landing them in exile in Babylon. That's 1 to 39. The end of chapter 39, you're in Babylon. Chapter 40 to 66, the second half, looks to a time of comfort and salvation for God's people by God. And in those chapters, a figure emerges known as the servant, God's servant. Turns out he's a suffering servant. And through him, hope is going to come, not just for God's Old Testament people, but for the nations. And his ultimate effect in his ministry will be a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth. And so this quote comes right 
at the outset of those of the second half of Isaiah. The end of a period of chastening and discipline of the people of God and the promise of comfort from God himself for his people. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to them, for their warfare is ended, their iniquity is pardoned. They have already they've received from the Lord's hand double from all their sins. Now we're turning to comforting and consolation and salvation. God is at work here. He's going to do this. How's he going to do it? What will be evidence of it? What will be an indicator that it's happening? Well, there will be a voice who cries out. There will be a voice who cries out in the wilderness. There will be a herald who will come and proclaim something. And he will do it in the wilderness and his message will be one of preparation, preparing people's hearts for the arrival of God himself. God himself will come. You see that? The glory of the Lord of Yahweh will be revealed, will be on display. And at some point, all the nations will see it together. And so remember what Matthew said as he introduced John the Baptist to us. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching where? In the wilderness. What's his message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, not only, not only is Isaiah here in the background, but also Malachi. Just flip back a page or two in your Bible or scroll back in your phone, not too far, and we'll be at the end of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. Before 400 years of silence came in, before, before the birth of... Of Jesus. And God's people are under his judgment. But notice verses 5 and 6. God says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers of the fathers to their children and of the hearts of children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Now clearly this is an Elijah type figure, right? Because Elijah has long gone by the time Malachi gives this prophecy. He's going to come before the great and awesome day of the Lord and he will turn, his message will turn people's hearts so that they escape God's judgment. Again, Matthew makes this clear. Maybe not immediately obvious, but he says, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Why the focus on his fashion and his diet? Clearly, it's not an Insta moment, I don't think. It's because Elijah wore camel's hair and had a belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And Matthew is drawing our attention 
to the fact that this is not only the voice crying in the wilderness, this is the Elijah who was to come. And notice what happens when he speaks. Then all Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region of, about the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptised in the Jordan, what? Confessing their sins. He's turning people's hearts back to God by his preaching, by his ministry. Interestingly enough, Jesus had something to say about John a little later in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 11. I won't put it on the screen, but have a listen to what Jesus said about him. Matthew 11, verse 7, As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Answer, no. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, says Jesus, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He is the voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the people of God for the arrival of God. He is Elijah who is sent before the great and awesome day of Yahweh when he comes to save He is the messenger sent by God to prepare his way before him. He is the one who comes announcing the arrival of God himself. No wonder his message is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why? Because the king of heaven has come near in the person of of Jesus. Friends, this is what John wants us to see. This is what God wants us to see in his word. This is what Matthew, the gospel writer, wants his readers to see. Because If we see this, two massively important truths will land for us. One somewhat devastating, the other totally breathtaking. You see, if we recognise Jesus as the Lord of heaven and earth, the king, 
we will come face to face with this devastating truth. We have opposed him. We have dishonoured him. We have defied him, all of us, without exception. And so we will answer for this. This is what happens when we see that Jesus is the Lord come to earth. But we will also see and come face to face with this breathtaking truth simultaneously at the very same time. This King Jesus has come to save those who have done exactly that. Though he would be totally just to condemn us for our defiance forever, he holds out the offer of salvation and forgiveness, calling us to repent, to turn back. This is the breathtaking truth of the grace of God. For God, we're told in John 3, did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. The world that dishonoured him, the world that defied him. The kingdom of heaven has drawn near In the person of Jesus, overflowing with the grace of salvation for all who will humbly receive it. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king has come. Jesus is here. Repent. Now, I hope you're getting the sense that this is not something we're to take lightly. And neither is it something that we can afford to be presumptuous about. It's something we need to think deeply about in the light of King Jesus. Which is exactly what we hear John the Baptist warning people against in this chapter, isn't it? Have a look at verse 7. I'm not sure if I've got it up here. No. Verse 7, John, we read, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, not flattering words really, you brood of vipers. Which I understand is like a batch of snakes, a baby snakes. I think it's a brew, right? You brood of vipers, he says. Strange thing to say. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He sees these religious ones coming. 
for his baptism. But notice he doesn't buy it. He's a prophet. He has prophetic insight about their hearts. And so he calls them out on it, doesn't he? You brood of vipers. What do they think they are? Well, they think they're the children of Abraham. They're the chosen ones. They're the special ones. They've grown up around the Torah, around God's word, around the synagogue, around the people of God. They've grown up in all the right places and done all the right things. We're the children of Abraham, they think. John the Baptist says, no, you're the offspring of snakes. Your hearts are full of evil intent. There's no humility here. There's no repentance here. There's no acknowledgement of King Jesus here. They're presumptuous about where they stand with God. They think they're in. They're already in. I mean, we'll go and see what this kind of thing about Jesus is. We'll go and check it out. But we're already okay with God. Uh, Presumption. Presumption. Jesus makes it clear that none of that ultimately matters. None of it matters. What matters? Verse 8. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Genuine, humble coming to King Jesus with Nothing. With nothing. Oh, except our need of forgiveness. Got to bring that. Need to bring that to the table. It's not much of an offering, but we do need to bring that. John calls us to repent no matter who we are, no matter where we've been, no matter what privileges we've had. And do you see what King Jesus will do in our lives when we come to him like this? Have a look at verse 11. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Notice John's doing his job. He's preparing the way of the Lord. He's pointing to the one coming after him. That's his calling. What does he say? The one coming after me is greater than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. I'm not even worthy to do the most menial, servant-like task for him. So great is the difference between him and me. But when we come to him, he will baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Friends, this is a miracle of cleansing that will happen in our lives. A miracle of cleansing. 
He brings us new life at the core of who we are by the presence and power of his Holy Spirit and he purifies us at the core of who we are by the presence and power of his Holy Spirit, bringing deep and lasting change so that we do bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It's internal change. It's miraculous change. The third person of the Trinity brings this change about. The Holy Spirit himself. Jesus floods us, engulfs us, immerses us in the Holy Spirit when we come in repentance. This is truly an awesome and holy reality that only King Jesus can do for us. Only him. We can make our New Year's resolution as much as we want. And I don't know about you, I've given up on them. (laughs) This is the change. This is the way change happens. Through the powerful baptism of the Holy Spirit by the Lord Jesus alone when we come to him in humble repentance. Then there'll be change. And there'll be fruit. Not perfection, but you won't be able to hide it. And so Jesus will gather his wheat into the barn. He is both the saviour and the judge. He is the king who saves, but he is the king who judges. If we come to him, he will gather us into his barn and we will be with him forever. If we continue to refuse him, We will be separated from him forever. So friends, what we see here is really important, isn't it? As we've said, it's not something we're to take lightly or to be casual about as we head into 2022. What's it going to look like for you? How's it going to be any different to 2021? Well, God is calling us to think deeply about King Jesus. And there are two things God calls us to today in this passage that we'll finish with. The first one is this. Recognise the king. He calls us to recognise the king. It is the most important thing for you and I as we head into 2022 to see Jesus more and more clearly. There cannot be anything more important for us than that. To recognise the King as revealed to us in the pages of God's Word. Not to create a Jesus, by the way, of our own making. A tame Jesus. You might say a lame Jesus who fits in with our agenda. And rubber stamps everything we want to do. That's not the Jesus revealed in Matthew chapter 3. No, we need to see Jesus as he really is. The one whom countless angels worship. The one who has no rivals and whose kingdom will never end. But the one who graciously says to us, repent and come back to me. I've come near to rescue and redeem. So come, 
to see that he's the Lord of heaven and earth, and so Lord over you and I. I'm guessing that's the case, right? Just, just you know, going out on a limb here. That he is, if he's the Lord of the heavens, the galaxies, and every dust particle on this planet, then he's probably Lord over us too. To see him as the Lord of heaven and earth. To see that he is Yahweh, the great I am. The one who dwells in unapproachable light, but who has come in the person of Jesus to save and rescue sinners. To see that he is the God who will fight for you. As we will see next week. As he's taken into the wilderness by the Spirit, actually. And tested and tempted by Satan, and he wins that battle for us. See that he's the God who, fight, who will fight for you. That he is almighty God, God of glory and Lord of love. We need to see Jesus more clearly. To see that he alone is worthy of worship. No one else. He's worthy of our worship and our devotion. He is the king who has come near. He is the one who confronts us in our rebellion and makes us aware that actually left to ourselves we're worthy of his just judgment. But at the same time he offers us forgiveness. To see that he's the God of all grace, the God of undeserved favour, The God who went to this extent in his matchless love. And friends, this is really important. To see that the offer to repent is in fact his kindness to us. How did that offer even get on the table? He put it there. Repentance is a beautiful, beautiful word. And a beautiful, beautiful reality. It's the grace of God to us. To be amazed that he hasn't treated us as our sins deserve. We need to recognise the king. And then we need to respond to the king, finally. I think we're seized. Can go to the next slide? If not, we won't worry about it. Next one, believe it or not, says, yeah, there it is, respond to the king. So recognise the king, respond to the king. Will you do that in 2022? Will you do that today and tomorrow and the next day? What might that look like if we do? Well, it looks like coming to Jesus in humble rebellions, humble repentance, acknowledging our rebellion. It looks like not presuming that we are better than we actually are. That's what it looks like. Agreeing with him. Not presuming upon anything else to make us right with God. Not our upbringing or anything else. But only by God's grace. I'm not sure what you guys got for Christmas this year. I got a few things. One of the things I was really excited about getting was a new pair of shorts. They were were the ones I wanted. They were just... Just what I was looking for. So came home from church on Christmas Day, put them on, proceeded to cook some squid, and it spat 
oil all over the front of them. And I sat down at the table and went, oh no. And it's oil. I think it was peanut oil. It's probably the worst. I don't know. It took ages. It didn't look like we were going to get it out. It looked like they were ruined. But after many attempts, different products, different methods, we managed to get them out. So all is well. But friends, let me ask you this question. What about the stain of your sin? You know it's there, right? It's probably pretty obvious to you. Things you've done you regret. Things you feel guilt about. Things you feel shame about. What are you going to do with them? How will they not be able to ruin you? Come to Jesus. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will cleanse you. He will cleanse me. And he'll begin that process of purifying us for the day when we stand before him. Those stains will never ruin you. They'll just be something that has been part of your experience of the grace of King Jesus. So you need to do this for yourself. You need to come to Jesus for yourself personally. Hasbin says God has no grandchildren. God has no grandchildren. We need to come to Jesus for ourselves personally. Don't get me wrong. If you grew up in a Christian family, that's a huge blessing to you. It may not have been perfect, but there will have been and there will continue to be the fruit of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those who you have grown up with, which is great. But you still need to respond to King Jesus yourself. The one who loves you. So come to Jesus in humble repentance. Secondly, come to Jesus in joyful worship and adoration. Come to him with joy this year, knowing that for him to do this, he must delight in saving you. For him to take that step, to go to those extremes, to come in human likeness, he must desire and delight to save you. So rejoice in him with adoration and praise. Rejoice that he is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Come to him with reverence, knowing that he is the great I am and so worthy of your whole life. Lastly, come to Jesus in glad surrender and obedience. That's probably the the pointy end. We say it again. Come to Jesus in glad, not reluctant, glad surrender and obedience. You know what that is? That is coming to Jesus convinced that his reign over your life is way better than yours. What's the, what's the famous proverb? 
Don't lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. Us ruling our own lives, that's our own understanding. The opposite of that is to go, no, no, that's, that's not a good way to go. Jesus is far better as king than me. I'm going to gladly surrender to his reign. It means resolving to live our lives in obedience to his word and actually to live out the confession that's on the back of our church. Jesus Christ is Lord. Is he really? Oh, yes, he is. Okay. What does that look like? What does glad and joyful surrender and obedience to him look like? It's only ever done through repentance and faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's only ever done when we turn from running our own life believing that Jesus is better. That's what it looks like to respond to the King. So, in conclusion, New Year's resolutions... Have you made any? Not a bad thing if you have. Like I said, I've given up. As we head into 22, there is a way that all of us can experience deep and lasting change. Recognise the King and continually respond to Him. May God by the power of his Holy Spirit. Make this an increasing reality in our lives this year. Amen? Amen.